Hello and welcome to the Effect Podcast. It's Season 3, Episode 5, Winter is Coming. I am Dave. And I'm Matthew. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking our whole episode and season nomenclature is is getting really quite screwy. I think we might have to revise <laughs> it for our next season because, you know, this is also episode like 105 or something. We've got all the actual plays mixed up in the feed. We do all those <laughs> bonus episodes. That's true. Um, do, do you think anybody cares other than you? Uh, about this, yeah. I mean, maybe we should just call it this is episode 105 or episode. Anyway, we'll let, let's take this conversation offline and we can. Uh, well, you started it, not me. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. It's just listening to you say it, I'm thinking, yeah, is it really season three, episode five? I mean, yes, it is. That's what we've got it on the file system on our computer. Uh, <laughs> do you, would you like anyway. to introduce to our lovely bored listeners what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, so we've got uh, we've got uh, the world of gaming coming up. Uh, we've got some news you're probably expecting, and some that you're not expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of that is related to the celebrity interview we've got coming uh-huh. up, which is with Magnusita, the uh, writer of The Bitter Reach. Indeed. More on that later. We've got uh, you've got some advice. This came off uh, Facebook, didn't it? Yes. Alien as a game is attracting a lot of Alien fans who haven't been tabletop role-playing gamers before. And uh, we picked up on a call for assistance from somebody (laughs) who was about to start their very first GMing adventure with Alien. And we thought there might be a lot of those people about. So we thought we'd do 10 top tips if you're a new GM and you're starting with Alien. It's actually not exactly 10 it's probably no, it's probably more like about 18 because there's quite a lot of tips <laughs> under, uh, under each one. You've listed them and numbered them and there are only nine. And, um, <laughs> no, no spoilers. But, <laughs> um, we've also got the last players in the Hammam recording from our time at the UK Games Expo, which feels so long ago now. <laughs> well, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's with Matt Kay, who is also known as Nine Little Bees on various fora, and uh, he is quite a fan of a lot of Freela Gans games. So we've got he that is. as well. Right now, though, I want to start off with a thank you, Dave. Well, we need to th- we need to thank our new patrons and those who haven't had a shout-out before, don't we? That's the first thing we have to do on every episode. That is the first thing I want to do. And we've got three patrons. Because last month, August, was... RPG a day. We didn't have one of our magazine shows like this one. So we're a little bit overdue with thanking a couple of these. So let me read them all out. Um, we've got Phil Geraghty, also known on the forum as Guru Phil, who's been quite active as well and uh, on our Discord. So thank you, Phil. We've got Andrew Cole and we've got Jacob S. Jensen. So thank you to all of you guys. Uh, it's delighted to have you on board. Um... I hope you uh, get stuck in. I say um, Phil is a uh, yeah, he's a very active and uh, um, you know sort of forward leaning member of the community. It's brilliant. Um, he he does talk uh, a lot of good stuff. So come along and join the conversation. Yeah, especially you, Jacob, because you haven't joined the um, joined the Discord yet. <laughs> uh- <laughs> but welcome and thank you very much, indeed. We can't you make life for us so much easier by your support. Thank you. 
Yes, and we just really appreciate that you appreciate what we do. Absolutely. Let's get straight into business, though. World of Gaming. World of Gaming. I guess the first thing to say is we will be at Dragon Meat. Um, quite what we're doing at Dragon Meat, we're not so sure. No, um, we may well be there uh, representing Free League, but they um, have to organise what they actually want uh, for Dragon Meat. So we are standing ready to support them if they need the help. Uh, but also, we've been there for the last couple of years as part of the podcast zone, and I'd very much like still to be an uh, important part of that, because I had a great time, and particularly last year with the Grindbone Tournament. It's great being part of that community, and clearly, uh, if we're there, we'll obviously be in with that lot as well. Yeah, and I don't know whether we're going to be running games or anything, but I think we'd like to hear from all our listeners, or any of our listeners that are planning on running free league games at Dragon Meet, if we're if we're working a free league stand, uh, which we might be, they said they'd like us to help. They 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 haven't told us any more than that. Uh, but if we are, we might not have games. Uh, we might not have time to run games ourselves. So um, we'd like to hear and offer whatever support we can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, also we don't know yet whether Alien will be out by then. It might be. It might not. It's going to be quite close to that sort of date, beginning of December. So um, there there may or may not be. The opportunity to run you know, the, the the starter scenario from the the alien core book. So why would why would people want to run that one, Dave? Because <laughs> it might be quite good. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Will it? I don't know. <laughs> it better be. I, I mean, I, I've looked at the author. I've never heard of him. Um, <laughs> he's not like Magnus Sita. If Magnus Sita had been writing the camp, the the introduction <sighs> scenario then that would be really good. But, well, um, we guy... all have to start somewhere, don't we, Matt? <laughs> so uh, I'm just delighted to be involved. Um, it seemed yeah. to go down quite well at Gen Con. Guys there seem to, to really love it because they all ran Hope's Last Day at, at Gen Con. So, uh, yeah. well, we'll see. But fingers crossed. You never know. We might be able to uh, use that, even if Alien hasn't come out, if there are people volunteering to run Alien games. Um, we can have a chat with uh, Nilsson Thomas and see see what might be possible. Tell us. If you, you're hoping to run Free League Games at Dragon Meat, we'd be delighted to hear from you. Yeah. We've got some other alien news, haven't we, Dave? Uh, you went over to Sweden a few weeks ago and managed to catch a chat with them, and they told you about their future plans for Alien. Yeah, so we, there was, we had a really good chat. Um, quite a lot of it is, is uh, not settled yet so I'm, I'm not really at liberty to talk we can't share it. too much about, share it. about a lot of it but there's a lot of really exciting stuff um, as you'd expect from Free League coming up they have announced since then the Colonial Marine source book and the Colonial Marine cinematic scenario that are now being worked forward um, so hopefully um, they'll come out quite soon I've got no actually I've got no insight as to how quickly they will get those done um, mm. So I don't know what target date we're looking at for those to arrive, uh, but that will obviously expand uh, massively on what's in already in the core book for the campaign game for Alien, uh, which is which is great. Um, and I think they're 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 intending to do the same for Space Truckers and for Colonists, yeah. um, which would be would be uh, would be great. But of course, the big free league news is well only. A day ago, yesterday, they launched the Kickstarter. As of recording, yeah. As of recording, that's right, uh, for the Bitter Reach, which is the um, 
For, uh, Forbidden Lands expansion. Forbidden Lands expansion. Into the, the, the cold north, where winter winter has obviously come. And might even be going, because I think there is something in it about some of the some of the icy vistas, some of the, the ice is beginning to retreat a little bit. And revealing all, right. the, all the all the stuff that was hidden by the ice however many hundreds or thousands of years ago. And as we know, there's gold in them the ice hills. <laughs> um, should we get straight into that interview and we can we can share why we know there's gold in the snow? Uh-huh. Because we recorded yesterday an interview with Magnus Sita. So shall we listen to that? Let's do that. Hello, and here we are, uh, the Coriolis Effect, with um, a opportunity to speak to the writer of the new Kickstarter that's coming out from Free League, uh, The Bitter Reach, and uh, the, the the writer of that is Magnus Sieta. And uh, welcome, Magnus. It's um, fabulous to have the opportunity to talk to you. Uh, here we are, two days after the Kickstarter, or even actually the day of the Kickstarter, because it was delayed a day, wasn't it? But welcome. It's great to speak to you. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, great to be on my first podcast ever. Uh, cool. So yeah, this is uh, a new experience for me. Uh, Excellent. Uh, We've taken your podcasting cherry, Magnus. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, did th- I did actually think that some other podcast might be the first, but this uh, you, you took the opportunity. Uh, yeah, we like to get the exclusives in. Uh, yeah. yeah, so four hours have passed since the launch of the Kickstarter. Uh-huh. And already it's more than five times the original goal of uh, 100,000 Swedish kroner. So it's been really popular. We're almost hitting 1,000 backers, 986 backers so far. And there's still 20 days to go. So um, it looks like it might be successful. It's looking good, isn't yes. it? Yes. Um, I think, but before we get onto that, the thing that Matthew and I love to do with uh, new people that we talk to is to learn a little bit about you. So um, could you tell us a bit, Magnus, about your sort of how you got into gaming in the first place? And uh, I know you've got a long history, but I think maybe some of our English listeners, um, you know, would, would love to hear more about that. Yeah, sure. It's uh, as most of the uh, people who were writing for role-playing games in Sweden... Uh, most of us started uh, early 80s with the Swedish version of Magic World, which you have spoken about on this podcast. It was called Drakar och Demoner. <laughs> so in uh, 1982, uh, a friend of mine got the uh, basic uh, set for uh, Christmas, as a Christmas present. Um, and uh, that's when I got my start. And... Uh, Something about role-playing games really clicked with me, and uh, I soon started trying out other games, such as Call of Cthulhu, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, of course. And uh, in 1986, I found the uh, my favorite game. Apart from Call of Cthulhu, my favorite game is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Ah, uh, excellent. Good, good choice. So uh, I played a lot of that, uh, but I always wanted to write. So uh, in 1989, I uh, sent some texts to our Telsorian Games, the creators of Cyberpunk. Right. So in 89 or 90 or something like that, I got my first writing credit for Cyberpunk 2020. Oh, wow. Mm. Okay. 
Well, I so, didn't know that. And Cyberpunk 2020 is one of my all-time favorite games because I, oh. I ran that. I ran that loads back in the 90s. Uh, oh, fabulous! Yeah, I uh, I, uh, I got to work with a, a, a very talented uh, British uh, RPG author called Mark Galliotti, uh, and he has written some uh, more stuff about mythic Russia, I think. Uh, mm. So uh, he was the uh, the uh, main author of uh, the Eurotour uh, adventure collection, cool. and I got got to write two adventures for that. And uh, then I started writing more for the Swedish market. Mostly, I wrote adventures, short adventures, uh, some additional uh, expansion uh, articles for Swedish role playing magazines. Uh, until I got to write uh, the first edition of Newton Chronicles. Mm. Ah, excellent. And uh, for anyone uh, who has uh, experience with Cyberpunk 2020, with Warmer Fans Roleplay and Traveller, uh, will notice that uh, those three games uh, influence the character creation, uh, background systems, and, and a lot of that. So a lot of the, my experience with those games, playing those games, uh, went into the Mutant Chronicles game. Ah, cool. Now, I was, I was a few weeks ago on a, or a few podcasts ago, I was talking. We were talking about Cyberpunk twenty twenty, and mm-hmm. not having played it in oof, twenty years or something, I I fished my books out, which are on the shelf, and had a look, and again was uh, was surprised by or sort of reminded how good the character creation in that was. Oh, yes. Um, and actually, you know, reflections of how good that is in in how good the character creation is in Forbidden Lands. And um, I've mean, never never played Mutant Chronicles, but uh, I think um, yeah, maybe now I have to give that a try. Yeah, I, I think that original first version of Mutant Chronicles had a very brief English translation in America, but I don't think we've seen it in this country, Dave. Ah, uh, okay. And that's actually uh, I, I can uh, share an anecdote about that. Oh, by uh, all means, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> the first American edition of uh, Mutant Chronicles was written in English by me. Uh, oh, wow! Uh, cool. So it wasn't translated at all. It, it was uh, part of uh, a strategy of uh, expanding uh, the uh, property, the intellectual property, into English and uh, target games. The uh, the publishers wanted something to uh, show people in the States. And I have uh, a fair grasp of the British language. So I actually wrote the first Mutant Chronicles in English. And then someone else translated it to Swedish. (laughs) (laughs) You don't happen to have a copy of that somewhere. You could sling us. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I did. I I, I had that, but I I, uh, loaned the... uh, uh, the right ring binders to to uh, someone, and I haven't gotten them back. No, no. <laughs> I, I am aware, David, that there are illegal copies on the internet. Uh, you can find oh it. Um, well, I, I can I can always pay Magnus for it if I get it off the internet. Yeah, exactly. at, least, at least someone's getting some money for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you have anything to do with the the latest Modifius version of Mutant Chronicles? No, no. I didn't. Uh, it's uh, it was uh, they picked up some of the old uh, old hands, but I uh, haven't been associated with the uh, with the property since the first edition of the game. And uh, and just talking, I don't I don't want to make this into a terribly negative interview. If your answer is still no, but um, I've just seen that uh, uh, <laughs> Shut up, then, Red Matt. is coming out, <laughs> and I want to know if you had any approaches from Artosorian 
to uh, to no. contribute to Cyberpunk Red. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, dear. I haven't. This is going really well, we badly. Can, <laughs> hang on, we, we, <laughs> we can cut that last minute out if you like, Magnus. Yeah. That's <laughs> okay for me. The thing is that that uh, I uh, I did a lot of writing in the uh, early nineties, uh, and then uh, the role playing uh, publishing industry took a downturn. Yeah, and mm. I uh, started doing stuff that paid my uh, my bills, um, and I was out of uh, writing for about five six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the two thousands, I started again, uh, and I've been doing it as uh, well as a hobby, basically mm. uh, writing short shorter stuff. Uh, and actually, uh, in two thousand, I wrote a short adventure called Secret of the Winter Woods. Uh, it, roughly translated, it's in Swedish. It's called Winterskogens uh, Hemlighet, and that was a fairy tale, a fantasy adventure for the then new re re uh, animated Drakar och de Boner game. Ah. So it, it was a launch adventure for that, uh, oh, that property. Cool. So a lot of people uh, play that, and if it f- sounds a little bit familiar, it's. Uh, the setting is a forest that is eternally trapped in ice and snow, uh, and th- that might sound a bit familiar mm. to uh, <laughs> the bitter rich. And I think well, what, a, what a perfect segue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I think that uh, actually that adventure was one of the reasons why uh, Thomas and Nils uh, asked me to do something for for them. Ah, cool. Uh, because they 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 liked the. Uh, the kind of fairy tale uh, adventure style of my writing for that scenario, uh, and then uh, I said, "Well, okay, I, I can write a short adventure for you." And then, no, 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 we want to uh, we want to write a, a big book. Uh-huh. And I, I thought that was quite fun. Yeah, uh, it would be quite fun to do that. So, so I jumped on the train. Brilliant. Uh, so that was cool. That was cool. Well, uh, another thing is that most of uh, you British people or English-speaking people might know my blog, uh, which is called the Altdorf Correspondent. Uh, yeah. It's a blog for Warhammer Fans Roleplay uh, for the uh, Altdorf city. Uh, and for that blog, I created the I Altdorf map in the PDF format, mm. which is a downloadable uh, PDF map with... Uh, Every location I could scrounge up from uh, fan uh, material and uh, official material, <laughs> um, cool. ba- based on the uh, original map in the uh, in the uh, book uh, that was the first expansion for Modern Fantasy in, in 1986. Uh, so occasionally I will uh, update that with some some uh, story bits and, and some stuff about Altov. So I'm really psyched about uh, where Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is going now. So that, that's that's a cool thing. Yes, with the with the yeah, new edition, which has been again yeah. incredibly popular. Oh yes, yeah. I had to get that. That was uh, I remember the good old days of playing it back in the eighties, whenever it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we had such a good time with uh, Fantasy Role Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Um, and then kind of f- forgot all about it for so many, for such a long time. Oh, and, yeah. You know, and 40K sort of like took over and yeah. uh, seeing it out again, it's been brilliant. So I haven't yeah. had a chance to play it yet, of course. Yeah. There's far too yeah. much <laughs> any other games to play, but it's on my shelf and I've, I've, I have an aspiration to play it one day. I have to warn you, Dave, that uh, 
uh, I stopped Andy Gibbs buying fantasy uh, Warhammer fantasy role play, and he bought Forbidden Lands instead. Uh, so he <laughs> yeah. might have been playing this game that had 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 not Forbidden Lands intervened. Magnus, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the Bitter Reach or what what you're what you're able to tell us? Yes, uh, the Bitter Reach is uh, the next uh, expansion book for the Forbidden Lands. It expands up to the north of uh, the uh, Ravenlands. Is that what it's called it in is. English? Yes, that's right. Um, and uh, uh, what what it shows the country that is above the the northern mountain reaches. So if you would go through the Still Mist, you would eventually end up in in the, the Bitter Reach. Yeah. And the the Bitter Reach is. Uh, an area of the world that is uh, locked in uh, eternal ice and snow and cold. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's uh, been, uh, see, it's been, uh, been like that for a couple of thousand years. Did it suffer from the red mist in the way that the forbidden lands did? No, Ravenlands. No, no okay. it didn't. Uh, so people have uh, fled up to the north. Uh, very difficult to do that, of course, but some people have uh, dared the oceans. Uh, some have dared the mountains and some have dared the st still mist uh, mm -hmm. to go up there and have found uh, largely uh, an abandoned civilization. Uh, that uh, is uh, has a lot of ruins and, and uh, buildings left from from an earlier time, uh, and uh, it uh, transpires that uh, these ruins are of course filled with treasures and artifacts. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Bitter Reach has become sort of like uh, let's say not a Klondike, but more 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 of a treasure hunting area. Right. Uh, the uh, Ravenlands are more of a traditional, uh, you can go into the forest and you do a lot of stuff, but the Bitter Reach is, is very much focused on, on finding these uh, artifacts and these uh, treasures and uh, uh, thereby discovering what happened to this civilization that is uh, buried under all this ice. So the theme mm. of the, the campaign as a whole is to discover this ancient civilization and, and find yes. out its story. Yes, uh, well, rather uh, it's a, um, it's an inevitable uh, uh, result of, uh, of going out to do the treasure hunting. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and the incentive to go out into this horrible place where um, I imagine the survival rules are going to be even tougher than they are in Forbidden Lands is is the gold. Yes, yes. Well, actually, well, it's 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 the, the Forbidden Lands uh, formula, to, so to speak. It's, it's the gold, of course, the, the, the treasures and the artifacts, and of course the the, the legends. It's uh, the exploring, yeah, and exploring, going out into into the the wilderness, and as like I say, we we are we are tweaking the the uh, traveling rules or the exploration rules to to be more harsh and unforgiving mm -hmm. uh so yes why would you do this well because it's cool to do it <laughs> yeah well literally and metaphorically <laughs> cool yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm just looking at the um the, the image of the map that's yeah. uh, like they work in progress on the on the kickstarter that looks mm -hmm. really cool again it's yeah. just, you know a, an empty map one of the things i love about forbidden lands which obviously is, is going to be the same here in the bitter reach is that there's an empty map and you can go where you like yeah. And you know it's up to you to to, to to make your adventure in that in that land. 
and yeah. it looks really cool. I love the way that the uh, the coast is not quite as frozen as the rest of uh, the rest of the uh, the the, uh, the lands there. Um, it's uh then the, the the map is is uh, sort of uh it's it's a fabulous map by Tobias uh, who also did the map for the the Ravenlands. Yeah. Uh and it's a fantastic map. And I, I'm looking at the Kickstarter now, and I must say that that when I saw the uh, finished uh, cover uh, image from uh, Alvaro Tapia, it's it's a fabulous cover as well. Yeah, that uh, is. So yeah. it makes my uh, it makes my uh, it makes me a bit nervous because uh, well, now it's selling a lot on the on the art and and uh, some of the 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 ideas, but uh, now the writing has to. Uh, has to cut his match that. Uh-huh. So yeah. Well, that I mean, I think I, your story yeah. sounds like it. It it will match the art. Um, again, I'm just looking Maybe. at the Kickstarter. I see we've gone over a thousand backers, even in the time we've been talking. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, uh-huh. Yeah. One thousand. I got one thousand and twelve on my <laughs> on my update. Yeah. So have I. <laughs> <laughs> We're a bit slow here in Sweden. It's a, it's a it's a really interesting it's a really interesting interview when three people just sit here and say, "Oh, it's one thousand and thirteen now." Oh, one thousand and fifteen. Yes. Uh, so uh, I mean, there's a lot of expectation riding on this, and of course, Forbidden Lands has uh, in its first printing won awards already. It did pretty well at uh, the Ennies. It won the. We were there for it to win the UK Games Expo, so yeah. you might feel a little bit like you've got all this expectation riding on on your shoulders from people that have played Ravenlands and you know have liked the game yeah. for that reason, and you're hoping your campaign's going to uh-huh. match up. But also, of course, there's yeah. new stuff. What new stuff have you put in there that you can tell us about that you that's not a spoiler? Well, we are. It, it, one thing that is is is, is uh, uh, difficult about writing for for the Forbidden Lands is is to sort of get a grip on the uh, the formula that I spoke about earlier. Uh, normally, when when I write for for books like this, uh, I go into a lot more uh, detail on on where things are. Uh, yes. and, and uh, I place them on the map and, and, and do a lot of other stuff. But here in the uh, Forbidden Lands, it's like you say, you get to place everything. Yeah. Uh, so we have tried to do that and, and, and keep the world open, of course, and also add some stuff that needs to be uh, sort of to set the tone of the, uh, of the, of the area. Mm course and that's uh, what we're looking at and I'm, I'm i can't guarantee that everything goes in the book but if it doesn't go in the book uh, i would release it myself somehow uh-huh. uh, but of course we are looking to to uh, do something with magic and cold yeah um, we are looking for the exploration rules uh, to the exploration rules to make them more harrowing uh, and, and more dangerous uh without as like i i think i wrote on the forums uh without doing uh, uh, a climate uh, simulation thing this this is not about hmm. simulating the cold this is about no. feeling the cold this is about experiencing the 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 effects of the cold this is not this, we're not trying to to create a a realistic uh area 
on this fourth. Yeah, it's it's not going to be our hy- you know role play hypothermia. Yeah. Kind no, of no, 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 no. So, so do you think are there going to be uh, any new playable races as part of the? Um, uh, not, not as not, not. Uh, we haven't written that yet. No. So okay. if, if if there would be, we would have to add them. But we're not uh, looking at that now. There will be new monsters, of course. Yep. Um, and some variants on 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 the uh, on existing mm. races. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So. Interesting. So, so, so one thing that that I noticed when I when I started writing the book was that that uh, I had uh, I looked at the Forbidden Lands uh, Game Master book, and I looked at the Raven's Purge, of course. Mm. And uh, I realized that um, I started trying to write something like the Raven's Purge, but realized after a while that the Raven's Purge could build on the rules, the rule book, yeah. the Game Master book, because lots of information is in the in the Game Master book. But for the bit of reach, I, I soon realized that there's nothing in the, well, nothing, but there is not much in the book uh, in the face handbook, or in, uh, that could support a campaign like uh, Raven's Birch. So basically, what this is is a combination. I would say that this is a combination of a book like the Raven's Birch and right. a book like the Game Master's Guide. Ah, okay, so, interesting. So yeah, because we, we in Raven's Birch we don't have um, we don't have uh, equipment guides and. and monster best mm. bestiaries and stuff yeah. like that but we would have to have that in the bitter reach so that um you can put all those elements in yes this, uh, yeah exactly oh, and, and so, so it's it's and that means that something has to give when it comes to the campaign because we need to have space for the for the world building mm. as well uh, right. so so i think that that is one thing that people will find uh interesting in this is the balance between campaign and setting description, so to speak. Mm. You talked earlier about the uh, uh, the fact that it's slightly different from stuff you've done before, where you don't actually get to place everything because it's an open world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, pres- presumably, you're gonna the, the the concept of adventure sites will be the same, so you'll prepare those. Yes, but again, they'll appear wherever. Um, yep. So, f- for you as a writer, with your sort of experience as it is. Um, what sort of particular challenges do you think you face in writing those sorts of setting, you know, the adventure sites when you're not deciding where they go on the map? Um, let's see. It's. Uh, I think mostly that was uh, for me. Um, I think that most mostly was that I needed to do some mental gymnastics to, to sort of accept <laughs> that for myself. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> uh, I need to. I need to think about. Okay, this adventure site has to be by water. But I yes. can't say where. Yeah. I need to say that it can be by water. Okay, that limits me to some things I can write because if I could say this is in the bay uh, where the river runs out, uh, that means I could do some stuff. But if I can't say that, I need to uh, write more sort of Gen- generally, generally, yeah. generally yeah. And, and have more of a theme for, for the adventure site than uh, if I could place it on the map and say, this is where it is. Um, yeah. ac- actually, uh, let's see if I can see on the map here, there's actually one place that is placed. Uh, there's one little city. Is that on the, um, on the river? On the map, yes, exactly, yeah. by, the, yeah. the, by the river mouth. Yes, uh, I see. Yep. You, you can't see the name there, but that, that's, uh, I wanted to place that because uh, it's, uh, this is sort of like a clone, like uh, go west uh, and explore, 
kind of campaign. And ah, I wanted yeah. to have I wanted to have a fixed starting place for, ah, for the okay. um, so, so that people could go in and out because since exploration is so much harsher, they would need to have they need a base camp, is, as it were. This is where you can find. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's uh, it, it it's that's the the, the city. And it features quite prominently in the campaign uh, as a as a return point if you yeah. wanted to. Of course, there are there are villages and other stuff uh, scattered around the map, but uh, this this place is is fixed. And it took uh, not not a lot of uh, talking to uh, Thomas about that, but he accepted <laughs> that. Okay, let let's have it fixed. Um, he, he took a bit of so. persuasion, did he? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Apart from that, I think that the most difficult thing about writing for for uh, Forbidden Lands is is the um, the uh, it's like you said, trying to write generally about stuff. Yeah, uh, I I do tend to to go uh, into a lot more detail uh, when I write uh, than uh, Forbidden Lands does, uh, and it's it what has been. Um, difficult to sort of stop myself when I, uh, this is cool and this is cool and this is cool, but then, okay, I need to write eight more adventure sites. I can't sit sit just right on this adventure site. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that, that that's also very, very difficult. Have you just given us a hint there, uh, Magnus, at how many adventure sites are going to be in the book? About nine. Could, could it be nine? <laughs> okay, cool. So, I guess, sort of I guess there could be stretch goals <laughs> that might expand uh, or reach nine and then expand yeah, maybe beyond, exactly. depending on how well we do. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Now, adventure sites themselves are kind of interesting in Forbidden Lands. And I, I've, I've seen yeah. some people online sort of slightly worry about them because a lot of the ones that are published in in the existing material there's no clear path through them there's a lot of choices like you know who do you side with what do you make of the adventure um is is that the way your adventure sites are written or are, are there clearer good guys and bad guys i try to add uh i i try to add bad guys and, and clearer path i don't think i've, I've done that as a in response to to those those kinds of uh, uh, thoughts, but I, I I know what they mean because mm. uh, I game master for Midlands myself, and uh, uh, my players spent six sessions in uh, uh, the hollows, the yeah. dwarf and the the woman fighting uh, the hollows. Exactly, uh, they spent six sessions in the hollows before I uh-huh. I had I had to kick them out because they were like, oh, okay, <laughs> but these can talk and these can talk to each other and these oh let's do this and this and this and this and this so they weren't doing any exploration yeah. so when I write I, I I want to sort of we want to encourage the exploration thing uh, which means that that most of the the sites will have sort of like okay this is the thing you go in here you do this and of course we add. Uh, according to the formula, of yeah. course, we add events that can happen as well. But I think it's, of course, it, it's. I would say that yes, there are bad guys all over the place. Uh, good guys, there no, are well, that many good guys. <laughs> that bit, might be true of the Ravenlands no. as well. I was going to say everyone's a bad guy potentially. No, exactly, uh, and I, I think that uh, I I, uh, I I would say that if you model, if you want to see, okay, what 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 are they watching? What I look, what what kind of movies are they watching for inspiration? I would say that the the uh, mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood uh, dollar movies, uh, yeah. are are clear inspirations as to how I set up stuff uh, mm-hmm. with uh, uh, 
you can join the bad guys, of course, if you want to. It's, yeah, uh, that's okay. Or you can, or you can be uh, if you have four, three or four factions that will be present in the game. You can uh, create your own faction and fight against all of them if you want to. Or you can join one of them. It, it's uh, it will be uh, sort of the campaign is not just uh, going into the into the ruins and finding what happened, but since this is a rich country, a rich land, so to speak. Other uh, power brokers have uh, mm. gone there as well. Ah, so right. there, there will be a, a couple of opposing forces that are trying to, to take control of the lands. So it's not, it's not, uh, it's not entirely virgin territory. It's uh, territory no. where others have already staked a claim. Uh, others have already staked the claim, and others will be staking claims. Yeah. As the so it does feel a little up. bit like the Wild West. Mm-hmm. Or the, cool. I guess the the wild north in this particular yes. case. <laughs> exactly, yeah. the wild north. Uh, have you seen that so like uh, spaghetti western? Yeah. One of my favourites, uh, the the big silence. No, no. That's no. that's set in a very snowy landscape. Mm-hmm. It stars Klaus Kinski as a mute. It's brilliant. Probably oh, okay. the mm. best spaghetti western ever. Huh? Okay, I recommend. Okay. I have to look that. Yeah. Mm. Apart from, uh, well, I haven't seen that one, but but. Uh, Christian Granat, who is the art director for Fria Liga. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, when we started this, he recommended that I watch uh, The Terror, uh, the Ridley Scott uh, television series. Ah, okay. So if uh, if people want to uh, sort of get a feel of how it would feel to be in the bitter reach, they could watch The Terror. Uh, cool. it's, it's quite gruesome and, and <laughs> horrible. Actually. <laughs> Sounds right up my street, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, so brilliant. I think that that actually that's uh, that's one thing that that we wanted to keep the the bitter reach uh, sort of like, it has to feel different from the rabid land, uh, and I think that this bleakness uh, will uh, make it feel more uh, different and more yeah. exciting. Uh, so so this is something else. Someone asked me on the Facebook uh, that uh, whether a game master could could uh, one game master could sort of game master the bitter reach while another would uh, uh, play Raven's Perch, and that's mm-hmm. that's possible because it's uh, the tone is so different, and we are not aiming at, at we are not sort of blowing the lid of any super secret things about the Ravenlands yeah. in the Bitter Reach. We are, we are concerned with what happens in the Ravenlands. And of course, things that have happened in the Bitter Reach are things that are results of things that happened or didn't happen in Ravenland. Mm. So, so, of course, they are interconnected somehow, but, but that's on a, on a more like a high concept level yeah. uh, and not on, on, in the campaign. That's brilliant. So, so, so people will get more more information about the the history of of, of the lands uh, and and that will also inform some stuff about Raymond lands but they are so we're separate. obviously hoping that there's going to be a lot of new gms um having their first taste of the forbidden lands with this kickstarter and this yeah. means they've got a choice of campaigns to run doesn't it really they could they could start off in the bit of reach they don't have to have done the Raven's Perch beforehand. Exactly. This is a self-contained uh, setting and, and campaign, mm-hmm. uh, so you don't have to do the Raven's Perch. Uh, I, I think that 
if you would play through the Raven's Patch, that's a, that's a massive campaign, and, and mm. uh, your characters would be, they would have their own uh, place, and, and they would be quite powerful, and, and they might not, uh, the, the players <laughs> might want to experience uh, some other uh, a, f- a fresh, a fresh start, yeah. kind of thing. A fresh yeah. start, yeah. but but of course, if if they wanted to go to the north with those the, the characters who have played the uh, Raven's Purchase, if they wanted to find possible. somewhere with a lot of gold, uh, Dave, yeah. then you know to support <laughs> support their stronghold <laughs> habits. Uh, our little character, yeah. the uh, yeah, the campaign that Matt's running, um, we are just money grubbing <laughs> little thieves. Oh, anything that's shiny and gold yeah they only spent we, one session like. in the hollows because they yeah, just yeah. robbed everybody of their small change oh good oh yes <laughs> and had to yes, run. I re- I, yes i remember that yeah. you started the uh because uh, i just listened to the uh mm. the movie for haraka ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the fourth uh the four <laughs> uh episodes um, you started yeah the, yeah not much adventuring going on there yeah. <laughs> no, so, yeah, so it's 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 <laughs> no, well, it's it's fun listening. <laughs> cool. Yeah, but, so, yeah. Any other things that you wanted? It's it's quite difficult to speak about it without yeah, saying well, too much. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've filled a good that, half um, hour here. Um, so, so I think I think it would be rude for us to try and probe you for more information. I guess we've talked a little bit about um, uh-huh. what's oh. in it for game masters. Is there anything in your work in the Bitter Reach? That's specifically player facing, uh, new talents, new spells, something for something for players as well. You said a bit new about spells. sort of cold magic, yeah, yeah. So new spells. Uh, we will have to add equipment tables, uh, but yeah. most right. of it is for the game master. Right, right. Oh yes, uh, of course. I've written, uh, you know, up a, a, a sort of like I think about forty new random encounters. Um, so, yeah. so, so there will be a, a totally uh, unique uh, random encounter table, of course. Ah, cool. Um, yeah. Well, I guess that's for players as well Excellent. in the end, because it's yeah. the players who meet. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sort of. <laughs> I, another thing, yeah, another thing we might uh, that might be interesting for for uh, new Brits or, or English speaking players and, and game masters is that one of the challenges writing for uh, the bitter reach is that uh, the uh, the world uh, as you know was written mm-hmm. by Erik Granström uh, who is a very uh, he's one of the uh, greats of uh, Swedish uh, role playing design mm. uh, he's a fancy author in his own right and, and uh, has a very distinct style mm-hmm. uh, and was quite daunting to, to sit down and try to write something that would fit with uh, Raven's Purge uh, material. And yeah. uh, I think that in the end, uh, the Free League told me that, no, go with your own style instead of trying to emulate uh, someone else's. So this will feel different than, than uh, the Raven's Purge material, uh, only because of the, the style of writing as well. Right, yeah. And I think that's a really good thing as well, because like you say, it's a departure. Um, I think that'll only add to its strength. And yeah, and that's one of the pleasures of the Spire book. I mean, I don't suppose you've read that, Dave, because you might experience those adventures. But each one of those is written by a different author, and their authorial styles really come through in that. And it's a pleasure. I think I think the Ravenlands can cope uh-huh. with loads of different voices um, creating adventures. Yes. Yes. And I think that's that's one of the things that that sort of uh, 
uh, drew me into the Forbidden Lands as well was that the going to the forums and seeing what people are doing, what they're creating, what they're mm. uh, contributing to the, to the game. Uh, I think that's very inspiring because uh, many games are can, can be uh, a bit static when it comes to the fan involvement, but, but Forbidden Lands, is, is the fans are very much involved. And I love that. I think that that's, that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, Forbidden Lands has really hit a, a rich seam of uh, sort of what players want and maybe didn't realise they wanted it until Forbidden Lands arrived on their doorstep. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the breakout games of, of recent years, I think, and it's uh, only going to get better, I hope, with um, with the bitter reach, and I'm sure it will be. <laughs> so, Magnus, thank you very much for taking time to talk to us today. Yeah. Uh, it, we really appreciate yes, this. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I will continue listening to the uh, you'll call it effect now, not to the Coriolis effect. Or yeah, a, actually, Dave, I wanted to pull you up on that. So, thank you, Magnus. You said the Coriolis effect at the beginning of this interview. Did I? Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's that's a blast to the past, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> oh, I, just, I, I just I just love the name Coriolis effect. What can I say? Yeah. You know. Yes, that's a good name. That's a good name. And at the last count, we're at 1,037 backers on day one, hour, <laughs> hour five of, uh, of of the Kickstarter. So congratulations, That's, Magnus. Okay. On, yes, on thank a you, absolutely. Well, it was a real pleasure having Magnus on the show yesterday. And uh, for for his first ever podcast appearance, I mean, blimey, he, yeah, he seemed like he'd been podcasting for years. Um, yeah, was, an a, absolute natural. A real delight having him on, on the show. Um, some really interesting stuff about the bitter reach there, and yeah, there's there's two bits, kind of you know, two bits in my head that are fighting each other. There's the bit that hasn't yet finished doing Ravenlands, um, and we've only <laughs> just scratched the surface of that. But then there's the bit of me that wants to run straight north and go to the bitter reach as soon as this comes out. So well, you know, gonna be, um... it's going to be interesting. Maybe by the time the Bitter Reach comes out, you may well have completed a Ruby for Hrocker. You don't, you know, the, the rest of the... You don't need to explore every hex of the Forbidden Lands. We could find a reason for you guys to go north. That's We true. need a reason for you guys to go north. Actually, all that gold is you guys. <laughs> you guys are really trying to do a stronghold on the cheap. Uh, you could do with getting a load of money. So uh, maybe there'll be ample reason for you to go head head straight north mm. i'd like to think we could get some more adventures in before them but the frequency with which we actually get to the table to play means that um we might only have one more by then perhaps yeah yeah which is so uh so let's wait and see yeah so i mean it all sounds brilliant i wasn't aware of sort of magnus's what's the word i'm looking for no legacy is the wrong word his history in gaming and his uh is um, yeah the the games uh, he's touched. I would like I would just I would just like to say that that I am now fifty years old. That happened last week. That's why <laughs> I'm struggling to find words because I'm now old and senile. Yes. See, I've been doing it for the last two years, but now now you've got the same problem. But you've you've learned with a couple of years to hide it better. I'm only just turned fifty, so I'm I'm, I'm a complete virgin at doing all this. Um, ah, but yeah, yes. Mag- but Magnus's track record is, I think, clear for everyone to see. And now I must go and buy Cult and um, play that a little bit. But brilliant to have him on, and we would love to have him on the show again in future. Uh, maybe um, you know, get him to come and talk about the Bitter Reach when it's when it's completed, when it's coming out, or even before if he wants to. 
Yeah, in fact, after the interview, we realised we hadn't talked much about the art because the art in The Bitter Reach is all new. Uh, Mm. The original Forbidden Land stuff, of course, most of that is from... um, Oh, I've forgotten his name. Neil Skullickson. Neil Skullickson's sort of... uh, His his life in pictures, as it were. (laughs) Um, So this is all new art. And uh, Magnus, I think, will be asked as the writer to comment on the new art as it comes in. So he might have an interesting insight on the art. We should invite mm. him back to talk about that later. And that, and that artwork, the sample of which that you can see on the Kickstarter page, again, it's the usual fabulous standard that, that we expect now from Free League. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, their art direction is fabulous, mm. even in black and white. Yeah. So let's move on to our next item. And this is your advice Alien. for new yeah. <clears throat> Alien GMs. Alien for new GMs. Uh, this is Some of this advice is also just very generic for role-playing games generally, as you'd expect. But yeah, have a listen. See what you think. Back in August, there was a conversation on Matt Kay's excellent Alien RPG Facebook group who was asking for advice and tips on GMing the Alien RPG. At the time, I said we would cover this off a bit in our next magazine episode, which sadly is a bit later than usual due to RPG a day. But better late than never. So, Michael Olberding and Joseph Berryman, I accept your commission. Or in other words, you ask for it. But please remember, this is my take on hints and tips for beginning GMs. Yes, I have a lot of GMing experience over 40 years, and I have GMed Alien quite a bit already as well. But my approach might not be for all. So have a listen, take what you want, and hopefully this will give some food for thought. There were some specific questions that came up, like how do you prepare and run a game? How do you decide who dies and the outcome of action? And how do you set up your characters? I'll try and cover these off too. So tip number one, and perhaps the most important tip of all for a new GM, don't worry and don't stress. It will be fine, and you need to enjoy the game too. Tip number two, know the rules well enough. You don't need an encyclopedic knowledge, but you do need to read through them once, and then reread the key bits, like how skills work, combat, damage, and so on. And maybe run a test or two, just to get a feel. This will boost your confidence and limit the times you have to go back to the book to check a rule while you're at the table. For ease of reference, I always make a personalised contents list, usually just with a post-it note stuck inside the front cover, that lists all those obscure but really important little rules that the core book's index never helps you find. Tip number three, setting up the character group. In a cinematic game, the players get a pre-generated character which I suggest you hand out randomly. Give your players a few minutes to read through their PC and absorb their personal agenda, their buddy and rival. Then get them all to introduce themselves to the group in character and, of course, keeping the stuff that needs to be secret, secret. In a campaign game, the rules will encourage you and your players to roll up the character group in collaboration with one another, agreeing the group's concept, their history and starting to flesh out their relationships. It's a great way to create a group with some cohesion and helps the GM get over that perennial and thorny issue of how to bring the players together at the start of the first scenario. 
Tip number four. Know the scenario well enough before you play. That's easy if you've written it yourself, and not always so easy if it's a pregen. A great way to destroy the tension and excitement at the table is stopping to read a section of the scenario because you don't know what's coming next. That's a real atmosphere killer and should be avoided if at all possible. Tip number five. Know or be able to easily reference the player's secret agendas. I've found that it's very easy to lose track of these in the heat of a game and then miss opportunities to reward the players for good role-playing and for advancing their agendas. At the UK Games Expo, I printed off a sheet with the PC names and agendas positioned by where the players were sitting around the table. It's still a challenge to stay on top of all of these as the GM, as the game is flying along and you're drawn into the action as much as the players are. But keeping that reference to hand not only reminds you to reward good play, it helps you to spot that good play when it happens. Tip number six, build tension and atmosphere. There are a few points to make here. Despite the temptation to start a game with a big bang, don't do this too often. The horror in a horror game is often in the anticipation of what isn't seen, rather than what is. I mentioned it earlier, but don't kill the tension by constantly referring to the rules book or scenario. You're making a story experience for you and your players not being tested on the rules. Free League games are not the place for rules fascists who want to trip the GM up like D&D can be, or has been in the past perhaps. If you don't know the exact rule, and finding it will breach my last point, just make it up. You'll have the knowledge of the rules to make up something reasonable that will keep the game flowing, and chances are your players will never notice anyway. You can check the real rule after the game. You don't need the descriptive talents of Arthur Conan Doyle or Charles Dickens, but try to use some evocative language to help your players' imaginations get going. You might want to stress the gloom and the quiet, or describe a looming presence or shadow that might be something terrible. You can also use physical movement as a descriptor. I often use grasping motions with wide arms at the table while I was describing a xenomorph skittering down a ventilation shaft, with visions of the latter scenes of the film Aliens in mind. It all adds a little bit to your player's experience. Also, and I think in a cinematic game this is really important, take time to describe the moment of a character's death, maybe even replaying the action of previous rounds to make one flowing narrative, the scene in the movie, if you will, as a player finally meets their doom. Tip 7. Allow stress to build up slowly. I've found that when stress builds up too fast, the players start to struggle to achieve much and constantly make panic rolls. This quickly becomes very disheartening. And the more often your players make panic rolls, the more routine and the less panicky they feel, and the game loses the tense feel of this dynamic. There are plenty of ways to control stress in your game, although there's not much you can do if your players are too gung-ho but then the game might not last very long. Firstly, don't give too much narrative stress, by which I mean stress given as a result of things in the environment that the players have no control over. Things they can't avoid in the story, for example, like hearing a blood-curdling scream or coming across a dead body, shouldn't always, or even usually, give them a point of stress. Link narrative stress to actions. For example, if a player knows there's a cupboard with weapons in it, 
but it's on the other side of a room full of eviscerated bodies. But he still decides to go and get the guns. That might well be a worth a point of narrative stress. But at least the player made that choice. Don't make the players roll for every action they might want to take as well. Rolling dice and pushing that roll increases stress. So only make your players roll for things that matter. And allow them moments of apparent safety and calm in the midst of all the action. This gives them the chance to draw breath and reduce their stress. By resting in a safe place for one turn, they reduce stress by one point. But you don't have to allow them the time to recover all their stress. After all, there's always another xenomorph somewhere nearby, sniffing them out, and a random thunk in a nearby vent, or a wibble on the motion tracker, should be enough to get them moving again. Tip 8. Put your players in a situation and let them work it out for themselves, rather than leading them by the nose. In my experience, you get much more from your playing group, and they as players will get more from the game if you give them the space to use their initiative and come up with their own way of managing a problem. Throw moral and ethical conundrums at them as well, and watch the heated discussion kick off around the table. But be prepared. Some players, especially inexperienced ones, may take time to get used to the idea that they can do whatever they want, and may need guidance to focus on their character, their character's motivations, and how that PC may then act. But also be prepared. This approach will take your game in directions you never anticipated or imagined. This brings an extra challenge to you as a GM, to weave in your players' ideas into your scenario, but it brings the greatest gaming rewards too, and is well worth the effort. Tip number nine. Generally, but especially in cinematic scenarios, I'd advise you follow the rules as written. Roll dice in the open, and let them fall where they may. Coming across a xenomorph in the alien RPG is deadly. Intentionally deadly. And there's always the risk that a player will die a sudden and brutal death. That's okay. In fact, that, that's better than okay. That's good. If you're faced by a xenomorph, any and every roll of the dice might kill you, and that fosters a real sense of tension and will drive the way your players behave. But all that said, I get this might seem a bit merciless, but there are ways to soften the impact. Firstly, make sure your players know in advance the nature of an alien RPG cinematic game. Caution them to use extreme caution. Give the players at least the illusion of a way out, particularly in early encounters. Running away is a perfectly sensible tactic in the alien RPG. But if your players behave in a stupid, reckless or just plain daft way, don't worry about letting the dice decide whether that player deserves to be punished or not. Offer your players the chance to roll the dice when an alien attacks them, or at the very least, as I said, roll the dice in the open. It does take a little bit of GM courage to do this, and yes, sometimes it turns out very badly for the character, but it's a great way to build real tension around your table, and in my experience, much better than rolling in secret and effectively deciding yourself when and if a character should die. Let the dice make this story for you. That's what they're there for. My final hint here applies to cinematic play. Have an NPC or two in your back pocket that you can easily introduce should a player see their PC die horribly early in the scenario. For example, I've had my players find another colonist hiding at the back of the workshop just where a player had lost his character in a fight. 
and gave that NPC to them to run for the rest of the game. It's easily done and ensures the player is back in the game very soon after the merciless death at the hands of the Xenomorph. I hope this piece has answered some questions for new GMs and maybe even offered interesting things to think about for those with more experience. I am always happy to help and you can get in touch with me over Facebook or through the Effect email or Twitter. Good hunting! So, Dave, Dave, you got top tips. There are ten top tips in any top <laughs> tip section, on any magazine, in anything you read. You've got nine top tips here. Now, if we were playing Coriolis and we were talking about being a new GM in Coriolis, well, then there are nine icons. So you could get away with nine top <laughs> tips. But there's Alien... Deserves 10 top tips. Does it? Well, actually, if you, if you kind of look through it all, some of the top tips have got more than one tip under the heading. So um, I haven't counted them up, but there's probably about 15 top tips in there. So oh, well, uh, if you then you've got too many top tips. I mean, it's all good advice. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's plenty here I could argue with just because I like to argue with you. But, That's um, true. But actually, there's not much here I can legitimately argue with. Uh, <laughs> and well, that there's quite a lot. I agree with. That doesn't normally stop you, whether it's legitimate or not. Just. Uh... <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. As I say, you know, <laughs> when we're down the pub next time, I will be arguing with you over all this crap. But uh, here enough. in the politeness of uh, our, our, our podcast, <sighs> I have to say I agree with you. Whether or not that makes you the best GM or not, I don't know. I'm not sure we. I... I'm so bored with the best DM thing. <laughs> uh, if I'm bored, then how bored are those listeners? So I think we should agree <laughs> never ever to fucking mention it ever again. No need to swear over it. Let's just be confident in our own abilities and happy that we can GM well, whether we're the best or not. How about that? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yes, that's fine. Yes. We I mean, there was conceding defeat. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, of course not. <laughs> well, if it's a fight you want, Jones, then you can have it. No, this is, this is some excellent, this is the best uh, GM advice, uh, I'm sure. Now, uh, also, I think one thing that's unusual about Alien is the cinematic feel of these games. So some of the advice here for Alien will be a bit different from a general top tips for beginning GM in D&D or something like that, don't you feel? Potentially, yeah. Because um, I think certainly in a cinematic game, players know they're going to die, or there's a strong chance they're going to die. I really like the idea of taking a moment to savour the death of a character by, by sort of going back over it and describing it in sort of movie-style detail. And I did that in when we were at the UK Games Expo, and there were a couple of occasions... And one of which wasn't actually a death, but uh, where it kind of worked out really, really nicely. And I remembered it really clearly. So there was one there was one where they were running from an alien that had managed to get inside one of the tractors. And somebody had been killed already in the tractor. And two of them were running away. One of them froze as the alien was chasing him. It got behind him. We rolled for the signature attack. It didn't kill him. It just hissed at him. Um, and, the, <laughs> and then the... <clears throat> And then the next round, he was able to act and he tried to hit it with a fire extinguisher that he was carrying. And then the alien grabbed him, but again, didn't kill him this time. It was just the, it was the signature attack that kind of um, pins you and kills him in the next round. Kills you next time. And he had one last chance to try and break free of that. So we talked through all of this and then, you know, 
discussed the uh, the alien picks you up. It's almost loving in the way that its its mouth sort of smiles at you, and then out comes the inner jaw. And so we spent a few minutes going over it, and I think the player enjoyed hearing the death, you know, being sent to stage for that, and I think it just added a bit to the feel. And it's nice that you don't just go, "Oh, you're dead. Carry on." Yeah, you know? yeah. Because death I mean, a, is an important part of the A lot of good GMing is game. about sharing out the spotlight. Yeah. And although you make the point, of course, obviously it's a good idea to have some NPCs if people die early yeah. so they can take over those NPCs. Actually, there is a moment when, when in Alien especially, when your character dies, you know you're not going to get any more spotlight time. So, you know, having having an abundance of spotlight time during your death, I think, is, <laughs> is yeah. really good. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it, yeah. There was another one which was which I always remembered. Um, a guy called Christopher, who was on the Facebook stuff quite a bit. He, uh, he he was running to try and escape and get back to a tractor in this one. And there was an alien sort of not far behind him, and he ran out into the corridor. I won't I won't spoil it because this is probably in something you might find in the core book. Uh huh. But there is there is a sentry gun uh, somewhere, and he was he was shot by the sentry gun because he didn't remember it was there. Didn't kill him. He was broken, but when he came round from being broken, this was kind of the end scene of the movie, because he's lying there knowing that if he moves, the gun will kill him, but if he doesn't move, the alien will kill him. And it was a, <laughs> a really, really nice moment. Really well role-played as well by the by Christopher and the team. Yeah, so I love sort of lingering on those movie moments or moments that would make a really good scene in a movie. And I think that's a really important element of you know, cinematic game. It's called cinematic for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Good. Well, I, I hope people enjoy that. I hope they found it useful. Um, as I said in the piece, you know, if you've got other views and other thoughts and other tips, then let us know. When... Yes. In fact, we've had an idea, haven't we, have. we Dave, that uh, we should do this again. And we, we promised this item in direct response to a Facebook post. But actually, there's going to be a moment when a whole bunch of new GMs are receiving their copies of the Alien RPG and these are guys, or, you know, a lot of us are going to be experienced GMs and we're going, yeah, I know how to do this. But I think there's a whole lot of Alien fans out there who haven't GMed. And we think they might well deserve a special episode of GMing advice to coincide with the arrival of their uh, new packages of the Alien RPG. And we thought, well, you know, obviously... You've given your advice. I, I could write another piece and give some slightly different advice, but we thought this is an opportunity for all our listeners. For the community. To yeah. picture the community as a whole, to picture that new GM and think about what would their top piece of advice be for a new alien GM. So send us your feedback on uh, by email at feedback at effectpodcast.org. With a K or, in effect, remember? And in fact, with a K, yeah. Uh, or uh, a tweet to us on Twitter at the Coriolis Cast, or see us in the Facebooks um, and leave us a message in the Facebooks. We'll try and gather together all your advice and share it again in our special episode. If we get loads, we might do more than one special episode. Yep, absolutely. And what we'll do is we'll um, we'll we'll schedule that. To- uh, when we know more about when the, the, the Alien Core book is going to be landing in people's doorsteps. So uh, it could be really current for when people are picking up the book and empty, you know, taking it out of the package and going, right, I'm going to play now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hopefully we won't stop our 10 top tips at nine. 
<laughs> I'm think I'm going to set a trend. I think nine top tips is just the the perfect uh, the perfect number from now on. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell you what, I'm going to add a tenth top tip then for What's this that? particular episode. Go on then. Listen to the feedback. Uh, listen to the advice of the whole community <sighs> on our forthcoming feedback special show. episode. Yeah, cool. That's good. All right then, I'll let you have ten if you insist. If it matters so much. Now, um, Magnus talked about uh, his love for Warhammer fantasy, fantasy role, role play. play. Yeah. And, uh, and his blog. We, m- we must put his blog in our show notes as well so that people can find that. Um, but our next interviewee is Matt Kay, who I got to talk to at uh, UK Games Expo. Very much an active member of the community. He runs all the um, most of the forums on Facebook and stuff like that. Uh, and he is also a Warhammer fantasy roleplay fan. And so uh, I feel quite like we've scored a point against him for, uh, for getting Magnus talking to us before he gets <laughs> it on his Mud and Blood podcast. But uh, this is our opportunity to actually... The Effect podcast, Coriolis Effect, are always the first at these things. Well, not always. We're always often, the first. Often the first. Yeah, yeah. I saw somebody trying to claim a, an exclusive when Nils told them about Vason, the uh, the 19th century game they've got in the books. And I said, we did that months ago. <laughs> yeah, why aren't you listening to our podcast? <laughs> uh, cool. Anyway, anyway, so let's listen to Matt and what he had to say about uh, the hack he's making of Forbidden Lands. Yeah. So for our players in the Hammam slot, we're back at UK Games Expo in Birmingham. This is probably the third or fourth interview you've heard from there. Uh, and we're with Matt Kay. Hello. <laughs> and uh, Matt Kay's name might be familiar to you if you are on the various social media. You're running how many How many different <laughs> fora for, uh, for how many different games now? Um, let's see. I moderate the... Discord Year Zero Worlds group. I'm Nine Little Bees, by the way, so you might recognize my name, Nine Little Bees, from Discord. Um, I, I've, I've started the Alien RPG group on Facebook. I beat you to it on MeWe. <laughs> I've got almost all the other MeWe um, <laughs> groups for Free of the God. I do. I've, I've got the Year Zero game. Uh, year Zero. The, the, the Year Zero. The big Year generic. Zero one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, plus. I think every every other product they've got other than Alien and um, Tales from the Loop, although I'm also now a moderator on Tales from the Loop. Um, yeah, so if you're on social media and you're interested in user games, you've probably come across me as Nine Little Bees or, or myself, Matt K. And you're a fellow pe- uh, podcaster as well. And I'm a fellow podcaster. Oh, yeah, I run, uh, um, I'm one of the hosts on the Mud and Blood podcast, which is not focused on um, free league games, but we do spent a lot of time talking about them because I'm a huge fan obviously <laughs> and so that's why you're on players in the Hammam so um, uh, it's great as well to cross pollinate podcast so yeah. glad yeah. to have you here um, the real reason though that I uh, invited you to have a chat is you're also working <laughs> on a new Year Zero engine game that looks really exciting from what I've seen of it can you tell us a bit about that I can yeah um, so I've been working on a game called Nord Saga for over two years now, um, uh, sorry, just under two years, um, and it started off as so. Backing up very slightly, um, I'm a huge Warhammer Fantasy roleplay fan. Um, 
like massively. That's what so, I thought your podcast was going to be all about. When you first it started. focuses mainly on on Wolfrup, yeah. Um, well, I don't know whether it does. It's just got round to Wolfrup now. <laughs> <laughs> our very first, our very first two episodes were all about it because we're waiting for the fourth edition to drop, and then we anyway we've we've delayed and delayed our review because we've been trying to get an interview with um, Andy Law, and every time we arranged an interview, there was like. He was he was ill, or he yeah. just had he's just been to the dentist and he couldn't talk because his mouth was swollen. It was like the chaos gods were against us. Anyway, um, I'm a huge fan of of Wolfrup. It's probably my favorite. Um, it is my favorite setting, hands down, of any of any role playing game system. Um, and my issue with it is I don't like this. I don't like the system. I don't like the rule set. I love the setting. I don't like the rule set. Um, and when I when I first started playing freely games back um, the beginning of 2015, like three months after, uh, two or three months after it was available in English, um, Mutant Year was available for English, I, I bought the, the bundle on uh, from Modiphius. Um, I just loved the system and played and played and played it. Um, got Coriolis, I've done all the Kickstarters, got all the bundles from the Kickstarters, so I've, I like, I'm pretty heavily invested in the, <laughs> in the Free Ligon stuff. Uh, or free free league, as I should say. Sorry. Um, yeah. And so when it came around, when I started to think about like playing my favorite game setting, but not using a percentile dice, I was thinking, I thought I should ha I should hack this using a year zero system. This is before Forbidden Lands was announced. This was before um, the OGL was announced because that was obviously part of the Forbidden Lands Kickstarter. Um, it was my idea. Okay, cool. um, so I started working on this project, but basically reinventing the wheel, like doing my own Year Zero hack, and it's that's not easy. No, <laughs> and when you're when you're trying to do everything, I mean, I was trying to I was trying to stay to the spirit of of the other games that were out, but then I was trying to put my own like twist on it to make it feel like Warhammer, and the only thing that they kind of really share is the kind of gritty factor that they're de that they're deadly. But other than that, I was doing a lot of little tweaks, and it never felt right. I would, I would, I would come up with a mechanic to solve some problem that fit within the system, and then it would be like two weeks later, I think of something better, and it's like I just kept going around in circles. It was yeah. making any, it was making any progress, um, and then Forbidden Lands was announced, and I was like, oh my god, this it shares a lot of DNA. I mean, the setting's very different, but it shares a lot of DNA with what I had envisioned with this dark, gritty um, uh, fantasy setting. So, when Forbidden Lands came out, I started playing it. I played the beta version. Um, I've played the full version, or run, I should say, run the full version. And yeah, really, really love Forbidden Lands. Um, and I made the decision once the OGL was also announced, and after I'd played Forbidden Lands a few times, I was like, you know what? This makes a lot more sense for me to, you know, the first chapter of the book says, run your own, run your own fantasy worlds using our game. It's modular. And I was like, you know, I'm going to put that to the test. Yeah, right. So and that's where we are now. You're putting a whole Forbidden Lands system system into your game. You, you, so your game is now becoming a setting. Nord Saga is officially, an, unofficially, whatever, unofficially, is an alternate setting for Forbidden Lands. Right. So if you, if you have the Forbidden Lands dice, they will be of use in Nord Saga. Now... That there are necessary changes to be made to Forbidden Lands for my, for my game. Um, I don't have the same kin. I don't have the same professions. So I've um, I've rebranded those. Or I've come up with new ones. It does share some. Um, also, I should say sorry before people think that North Saga is a Warhammer Fantasy roleplay hack. It's no longer that. Um, from the very beginning, I didn't because um, Games Workshop is very protective of their IP. I knew straight away that. I, w I wanted to make something that was in the spirit of Warhammer that shared a lot of the same themes, but wasn't Warhammer. Yeah. So the setting. Yeah. Uh, what I've seen of it is very Nordic. Yeah. Uh, very uh, creatures look 
a lot like the trolls and the things from folklore in, yeah. in Scandinavia. Yeah. So I'm also a big history fan, about buff, and I've I've loved Norse mythology for a long, long time. Um, so this is actually set in our own world. It's alternate history, and it basically the setting is what what if. Sigurd Snake in the Eye, who is one of Ragnar Lodbrok's sons. Um, he was one of the Viking warriors who, in retaliation for Ragnar's death in Northumbria, um, was at the head of the great heathen army that invaded the UK back in the 9th century and started the Dane law. Um, so he's, a, he's an actual historical person. But my thinking was, well, what if the Norse gods were real? And they were worried once Ragnar, their like champion, was killed by the, the Northumbrian Christian king. They were worried of losing their way of life. So they interceded directly, chose a new like champion of the gods, which was Sigurd, and gave him supernatural aid to defeat the Christians. And that's the what-if scenario that kicks off the whole alternate history element of it. So the idea is that Sigurd, Snake in the Eye, now has the Jotnar, the Eilfar, the Dvergar, the Nissar, which are all um, creatures from the other nine worlds in Norse mythology. They've somehow crossed over to, some, not all of them obviously, but... Um, you know, armies of them have crossed over into onto Midgard, our world, and like fought for Sigurd to overthrow the Holy Roman Empire and the Christian kingdoms in um, Britain. So that's the premise. Um, I then fast forward it 400 years to um, the 13th century, which is where the game is set. Sigurd is still alive and in his prime and is the emperor of this Norse empire. So there's something a bit weird going on there. It's a bit decadent as well. So there's that whole like um, corrupt empire that Warhammer has going. And in terms of chaos, um, um, the idea of Ragnarok in Norse mythology is all about um, the, the leader is like a, a flame giant. There's, it's not really sure exactly what he is, but he's, he's this, there's this being in Muspelheim, which is the, the world of fire, who will one day come to Midgard, fight the gods, destroy the world, and the world will be reborn with two human survivors. So the idea is, okay, I want Ragnarok to tie into this. I also need a bit of a, a apocalyptic, uh, apocalyptic scenario to make it fit in with Forbidden Lands. And it needs to feel like chaos for Warhammer. <laughs> so what I've come up with is um, whatever, whichever event happened, and I, I know, like, in a meta sense, I've got it in my history, I know what happened, but when Sigurd brought all these other creatures from mythology to our world, he kind of opened the door to ethereal manifestations of um, of Muspelheim and Niflheim, which is the world of ice and snow or ice and fog. The ice giants. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, frost giants are from are from Jotunheim, oh, right. and they're the Jotnar. They're a playable race. So he wasn't aware of it, but these like basically elements from these two worlds, these like primordial worlds of fire and ice have slowly are slowly corrupting our own world and they are corrupting the fauna they're corrupting the flora and basically um, creating monsters and things and it's paving the way for ragnarok ragnarok will happen on top of that the black death plague happened in the 14th century in our timeline um, and there's a lot of historical evidence to suggest it was brought about and spread because of climate change and i thought well this corruption climate is climate change, change yeah. so I can accelerate the timeline on that. So I've brought Black, the Black Death forward a century, and um, the Black Death has basically wiped out Europe like it did for us, and Britain, the populations, and that is the, that is the plague scenario, like post-plague scenario that the game starts in, which is analogous to the, um, the blood mist yeah. lifting scenario in, in Forbidden Land. So you have the same elements of isolated communities, um, yeah, you know, ruins of like more, more like villages. It's not as epic as Forbidden Lands because it's not. It's a different. It's our own world, 
Um, but yeah, cool. and you can play four. There aren't eight um, eight races or kin that you can choose from. There are humans plus four others. Right. Um, yeah, magics. I've overhauled magic completely, so it's runic magic. It's free form, no spell lists. So you have access. It's all based on the Elder Futhark as well, or Futhark, which is the um, the ancient Norse, old Norse um, alphabet, which Tolkien famously used in for the dwarven um, script in Lord of the Rings. So I've learned that. I've learned about like runic magic, um, and I've created a magic system which is actually skill based. So you roll dice to cast a spell, um, and yeah. Anyway, so it's. It's a bit crunchy, right. but it's it's very creative. It's a lot different than um, Forbidden Lands because you, the, each rune has a, has a meaning, yeah. and you have access. The three paths for the sorcerer are the three eights, which are the um, the twenty four letters of the alphabet are split into are actually split into these eights. They're called eights, a e t t, um, which are groupings of the alphabet. And um, so you choose a path. One of these three, you have access to all eight runes within that, yeah. and the, your rank in the path determines how many runes you can combine oh, right. to get various effects. So if you've got a fire rune, yep. uh, you can make fire yep. at level one. Yep. But then if you've got, say, fire and movement, you can... You can come up with a way of... Yeah, so the idea is um, the GM is the GM has power of veto, but the character like the GM is encouraged to um, is, is encouraged to encourage um, player creativity. So, like that's the whole point of a free form magic system. Anyway, is you have a meaning for a thing, and what can they come up with? And in my plates, I've actually play tested this at at this expo yesterday. Did a four hour convention run. Um, which went really well. I had a um, the, I had a player who ran the the system, uh, who ran the this sorcerer class, uh, sorcerer career, as I'm calling them careers, not professions. Um, and it went really well. It was a bit crunchy, but um, it handled beautifully. He had three mishaps. All right, yeah. His, or miscasts, sorry. Um, which I based on the miscast. I've tweaked the miscast table for Finland's just terminology. So you don't get grabbed by a You you do get grabbed uh, by. Well, you 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 somehow get pulled over into Muspelheim. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's no demon visible or anything, but you get you get pulled over and you get corrupted, and then you come back as a corrupted um, NPC. So it's it's effectively the same effects. I haven't rewritten the miscast table. I might do that. But for the, the purpose of the convention, I had to do so much stuff to get ready. I was like, I'll just use it as uh, just yeah. give it a bit of a, a Norse flavor. Cool, excellent, and that yeah. played just went well in every other. It went amazing. As well. It yeah. went really, really well. Yeah, um, everyone had fun. I got a lot of feedback back from it on the setting, on my GMing style. It was my first convention game that I've run. Oh, first so ever convention. This game. is my first convention ever as well. Well, so there's a lot of lot of firsts. First time I've broken your convention cherry. <laughs> yeah, and it, it went really, really well. I'm, I'm like, I'm still buzzing from it. So I'm hoping I'm running it again in an hour and a half All right. for another full, fully booked group. Um, Damn, I won't be able to come and overwatch. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to join in, but it'd be fun to watch with um, But yeah, so I'm hoping I can have another good group. Um, I mean, convention games, I've, there, we had one player who was a little bit difficult, um, but you're playing with six randoms who yeah. you have no idea what they're like, and it was okay. It wasn't like people, he was a little bit annoying, but everyone was okay with it anyway. Um, and I asked some people afterwards who stuck around a, a little bit, um, like, how, how, would, how could I have dealt with this kind of slightly troublesome player and they were like well you did a good job of it you, you could have been a bit more forceful with like washing it was basically a person who was interrupting everyone else at every opportunity and while I reined them in a few times um, anyway 
this is this is more about we don't want to talk about you don't want to hear my, my, my talking let's, about let's critique all your players <laughs> we'll just say that one of your players was friend of the podcast and Julie who's been a player in our uh, yeah. a player in our yeah. Hamam, as it were uh, so what did she think of the game I, I she her. loved it yeah she really liked it cool. um, she's one of the people I had a bit of a longer chat with afterwards yeah um, and yeah she was she liked it a lot and she's really? been tweeting about it so a little bit so that's also been that's also been nice to that's see good. yeah um, people have got a lot of um, followers like kind of helping to promote my promote my my game so brilliant so, what are your plans for that? I, I guess you're winding up now, you've got other things to do. What are you going to do uh, with all that development? When can, when can so, I get to play it? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, unfortunately, I mean, I was hoping to have it ready to go um, for when the marketplace goes live, which is uh, like less than a month. I don't think I'm going to be in that, that position. My plan is to release a free kickstart, um, or sorry, a free quick start, mm -hmm. which will be the, basically this convention scenario I'm running now with the tweaks to the Forbidden Lands system. So you would need the Forbidden Lands yeah, so, um, yeah. books to uh, be able to run it. To yeah. Um, and that would basically be a quick start. You've got an adventure, you've got the tweaks to the rules, but I ha you haven't got all of the um, adventure sites and a bunch of others. You have, I won't put any character creation stuff in there, so it'll be all the pre-gens I've got. But there are eight, uh, sorry, there are six pre-gens. Um, I have got very detailed life path tweaks um, character creation rules for it, yeah. which I've also playtested a number of times that I, I think work really well. They take these, the um, the kind of this stuff from, from the adventurer's booklet and then do lots of tweaks to it. So it's, um, I've played lots of games with adventure path creation stuff, so I've, I've kind of pulled a lot of ideas from other games, um, but it still feels very similar to the other ones. So, um, Anyway, so that's all. That's all kind of done and dusted. I just need to kind of make it look a bit pretty. Um, but there's there's other stuff. There's other projects I'm working on. The podcast takes up a lot. My own podcast, as you know, takes yeah. up a hell of a lot of time. So and you're doing it weekly, pretty much. And we're doing it yeah. weekly. Um, and it's just as and I'm doing a lot of social media stuff, um, which, to be honest, I've probably I probably should take a step back if I were to be serious about the game design stuff. But I'm enjoying it too much. <laughs> the interaction with people, it helps so. build the market as well. Always. Yeah, it does. Like, marketing hat on it helps, but it's. I don't know if the if the amount of time I put into it is. I'm getting from a marketing like from a business perspective. I'm not sure it's as worth as much time as I'm putting into it because I'm moderating uh, like more than ten communities. It's a hell of a lot of work. Um, it is a lot of work, and I'm I'm an organizational guy. I'm I'm very very organizational, so it kind of comes naturally to me, and I'm. I'm the kind of guy who'll step up and create, the, uh, like create something and be happy to run it. But I, I bite off more than I can chew sometimes. So, anyway, yeah. That's great. Is there anything else you want to promote yeah. before we finish this yeah. chat? What else is it? Um, I have created. In fact, it's on Drive Through RPG. I've created a a rules light framework called Year Zero Mini. Oh yeah. I've um, seen this is a four page document, um, which the pages. So one page is character creation. One page is the rules, one page is GM advice, and one page is setting advice. And the idea behind this is basically taking Fate and Fate Accelerated and giving it the year zero treatment. Mm. The reason for that is um, I went, I spent a lot of money, kickstarted at very high levels, the Fate Core stuff, and I have tried, I've run it a lot, I have played it a lot, it's never clicked with me or my group. And not and for me, like system-wise, nothing like Year Zero. And I know a lot of people love it, and that's fine. Like it's all well and good, but the fate is nothing is not for me. I love the concept behind it though, which is this 
this robust framework that allows you to play. You have an idea for a, yeah. system, for a game. A group comes together and say, "What should we play?" We've got a crazy idea. Or you play you play microscope together. Yeah. You come up with a you come up with you do some world building, and then you want to play a game with it. Most people will turn to Fate or Resis or whatever games are out there. And I thought it would be cool to have a very rules like narrative game that is using a, a Year Zero engine behind it. So I've created that. It's on Drive RPG. You can play test it. It's been around for a few months now. Um, and by the time the marketplace goes live, I will have the version 1.0 of that will go live with the, with that. With the marketplace branding. And I've got two people who aren't related to me who have, are already producing pay what you want settings for that game. So which has been amazing, like getting third parties interested yeah. in producing content for it. So yeah, um, check it out. Um, just type in Year Zero Mini in um, Drive Through RPG and it will pop up. And that's my other product. So sure. and it's free. So okay, yeah. and listen to the Mud and Blood book. <laughs> Let me say that again. And listen to the Mud and Blood podcast. If you're if you're into that sort of thing, we go down deep rabbit holes, and it's not necessarily years ago related. So that may not be for everyone, but um, it's a good podcast, I have to say. <laughs> it's my own. <laughs> okay, well, thanks very much, Matt. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, Matt. Uh, so that was actually, I think, I got the best sound levels on that of all three of the recordings I did at UK. And I finally worked out how to uh, how, how to, to use to your equipment, minimise the noise without <laughs> distorting the voice. Yeah, I, I I said it was a hack of Forbidden Lands. It's not really, course, is it? No. As he explained, it's a setting. Yeah. Um, and it's a Nordic setting, so I think it could be quite complementary for Bitter Reach. Well, it's it's an interesting setting in in it, it, it's a kind of Nordic reading of medieval Europe. I guess is as yeah. far as I sort of got it from what he was talking about, um, which is yeah. I mean, it's, I'm quite a fan. Am I quite a fan? I can be a fan of um, sort of counterfactual stuff, you know, where oh, yes. where you look at what ifs in history, and okay, this is quite a what if because it's you know what if the Norse gods really existed and all the rest of it, so it's a bit of a stretch, but it's still a what if about um, uh, yeah about European history. I quite liked his take on the Black Death being analogous to the Red Mist. I thought that was quite cool, um, mm. and I, I I like the idea of freeform magic. To a point, um, I I'm always looking for the perfect system to yeah. do that. Um, I'm going to reserve judgment until I've seen it. Yeah, I love the principle, but I don't think I've come across a game that makes it work terribly well. No, um, without without wizards becoming all powerful. Yeah, um, and I think mage it works quite well, but then in mage everybody's a wizard. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because when I was listening to the to, to the interview. Um, I I was reminded of a, a a computer game called Magica, and I don't know if anybody's if you've played it or Tom's played it. No, I've not played um, it. Basically, in Magica, you get four different schools of uh, magic, and you get four buttons basically. And the order you press them in before you fire your spell tells you what the spell is. So you get lots of different combinations, and it's mm. really cool. It's really good. Um, and I kind of had with with Matt's rune magic. I I didn't pick up how many different runes or sort of forms of magic that you would get in the game, but it it struck me that there was a thing a bit like that where yeah that's quite a good idea, but it might make it quite complicated. He mentioned a couple of times that he felt it was a bit crunchy, but it worked. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to have a yeah. look at it and see uh, see see how it works. Well, it is really interesting, Dave, but we have gone on for quite a while. Um, I we have, this is going to be we? another long episode, and yeah. I thought it was going to be a short one. <laughs> uh, so let's let's quickly say what we hope to do in the next episode. 
Uh, I have got an idea based on a conversation we had when we were last playing Forbidden Lands about an adventure site. So I'm going to map that out and I hope cool. to share that with everybody in the next episode. Have you got anything you Excellent. want to bring to the table? I'm, I haven't specifically, but I'm feeling the call of Coriolis. I'm feeling mm. like the, the, the icons are getting jealous that we haven't talked a lot about Coriolis lately. So I want to do something for that. Quite what? I'm not sure. But I need to be something to please the icons, obviously. Well, I always want to listen to anything about Coriolis. So, yes, we must please the icons. We must. Make our offering. <laughs> offer up our prayer. Indeed. Until then, though, uh, gentle listeners, may the icons bless your adventures. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast, presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.